0: hello hello welcome to my podcast today we're going to be analytically going over the book thief by marcus suzek now this book has a lot of great great storylines and honestly it's my favorite book ever ever and i would read it ever all the time just yeah (laughs) um so, starting off with this book, it takes place in Nazi Germany. Um, the main character, her name is Liesel Memminger. She is an orphan. Her brother died on the way to her new family. She is no longer in contact with her mother because her mother is a communist. Obviously, that would raise some flags, and it's not safe for her to stay with her mother. That's why she went to her new family with foster mother. Rosa Huberman and foster father hands Rope Huberman. Um, Now, the first thing you notice when you read this book is death. Death narrates, which is very opening to the scheme of the book. Having Liesel narrate would not give the same effect as death. Death, he is able, because death is narrating, he is able to go to places and know things that Liesel wouldn't know and shouldn't know until it's revealed to her by communication through via other characters. Um he is able to give a very real sense of what's going on in World War Two. He stresses that he's overworked and complains about it a lot. He says in this book that war is like a demanding boss. It wants more, more and more. Um, he continually makes a point to say this book is not about me, because he, he'll start to complain, and he'll say, wait a minute, this is about the heart-stopping, thrilling adventurer of Liesl Noeminger. Um, this book, because it is narrated by death, seems a bit cold at first, and very... up front and it's it's very it since it's so upfront the first lines are actually first the colors then the humans that's usually how I see things or at least how I try what he's saying here is that he tries to see colors first colors are the one joy he gets in his job and that's what makes carrying away souls of the ones who passed away easier then he sees the humans. Now, this is interesting because he says, this is a small theory. People observe colors of the day only at its beginnings and its ends. But to me, it's quite clear that the day merges through multitude of shades and annotations. With each passing moment, a single hour can consist of thousands of different colors. Waxy yellows, cloud-splat blues, murky darkness. In my line of work, I make a point to notice them closing line of the book even farther driving this point home is when he and Liesel are finally getting to talk after Liesl has passed away after many years of a long life. She asks if he understood if he understood what she was trying to if he understood what she was trying to convey with all of the truth and the hurt that she experienced, she wrote down everything that happened to her. If she, if death understood what she was trying to point out in all of her life. And so he told her the only truth he could. And the closing line of the book is, I am haunted by humans. There's a lot that can be said to that line. There's a lot that is conveyed. Humans, suck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We suck. Humans suck. There is so much that we do that is horrible and wrong, but there's so much beauty in humans as well. There's so many warm moments and the little things that, the innocent things that humans do are just amazing and a world to their own. It's, this book, It's def- it shows humans at their be- best and at the worst. And thankfully we have a wise narrator. He seems, death seems to have a very nice outlook on things makes a point of noticing these colors and a lot of times not a lot of times what am I doing? All the time. Anytime he starts with a color or he starts narrating what the world looked like, it matches the scenario. There is always a matching description to what is going on. At one point in the book he says the sky was like A gray vastness, and at the time, Liesl was having a lot of trouble. The overcast sky, the clouds, it's all a reflection of her internal struggles, or the internal struggles of the situation. Which goes on to the point that death only came across Liesl three times. Once, when her brother died, which was the beginning of her new life, so, birth of a new place. Her life, whenever her and her best friend Rudy Steiner went to go steal things, because of course they were troublesome preteens and, and eventually teenagers who, in Nazi Germany, felt like they had to steal something back. They had to take back something of their beautiful home that was being taken away from them. And at that particular incident, Rudy had come equipped with a toolbox full of. Things that he felt were useful to stealing. And one of those things was his little sister's teddy bear. Now, at the time, there had just been a bombing. And so when they were out exploring, they found a U.S. plane that had been downed. The pilot, though, was still alive. When death had arrived, he saw Liesl and Rudy. Coming closer to the body of the pilot while he was still alive. And there's just, they didn't understand each other. And they could see that the pilot was in a ton of pain. He was suffering. And he was at the end of his line. He was about to die. And so Rudy pulls out the teddy bear and he places it on his shoulder. The teddy bear rolls over, and so its head is touching the pilot's head. And in that moment, there's this infinite sense of comfort and relief between all three of them. Death is watching. And when he comes to collect the pilot's soul, the teddy bear and the pilot Sagamore, that entire interaction kind of leapt forward Launched Liesl's life and sort of encapsulated what her entire le- life led up to be while she lived with the Hovermans, her foster parents. It was in all of this bad and all of this horribleness, there was still some good, there was still some comfort. And oftentimes it came from friends and family. And so that was her life, was seeking comfort and to comfort others. And, you know, stealing books and words. The next time Death saw Liesel was after the street she lived on, Himmel, which was heaven in German. Which he makes a point of noting that who would ever want to bomb, bomb Heaven Street? Um, Liesel is the only survivor on the entire street. When death comes to take away all of the people's souls on the street, including Hans Huberman, her foster father, Rosa Huberman, her foster mother, and the Steiners, especially Rudy Steiner, there's this infinite sense of grief that he feels has, um, oh my gosh. In my AP class, we're reading The Scarlet Letter, and we're talking about Hester Prynne, and I just about called Liesl Hester. Great going, Miss Harrison, You've got me all confuzzled. Um oh my gosh. <laughs> There's this great sense of pain that Liesl has for losing the people she loves the most in the entire world. And that that's the closing of that's the last time Death sees Liesel is death. He sees Liesl three times, the birth of her new life, the incident that encompasses her entire life's sort of workings, and death, the end of it. Her life after that takes a very drastic turn. For the better or worse, there's not a lot to be said for that. It's up to each his, each his own interpretation. Um, for Liesel, though, the reason she survived the bombing of her of Heaven Street was because she was writing. The mayor's wife had given her an empty book and told her to write her story down. And so she wrote all of her life. She started from the time that she had been on that train and her brother died all the way up until that night, really. She fell asleep in the cellar. And that's when the bombs hit. Um, she often wrote about her hunger for words, her love for words. Words gave her an escape in a horrible time when she was filled with nightmares and worrying for Max, the Jew who was hiding in her basement. Um, she felt that words were the relief. They gave her something in life that really people couldn't. And they provided the sense of comfort to her that gave her a wise sense of maturity. Oddly enough, by stealing books, she became this mature young woman who had an innate sense of kindness and just this moral compass of eternal right. She never, ever would wrong. She always had the best intentions for everyone around her. And her, the hunger for words, she felt like she needed to repay that somehow. And so she started writing. And that's why death knew her story in places that he hadn't seen her. That's why she had asked if he read the book whenever he gave it to her after she passed away. And she asked if he understood, if she, if death understood the pain and the love and just the entire encompassing of the world's worst happening to a young little girl and how she somehow managed to survive that. And in all of that beauty and pain, death is haunted by humans. Now you're probably wondering about this imagery I keep talking about. So the section that I'm about to read, it's a part after it's takes place after Max Vandenberg. The Jew who hides in Liesl's basement first comes to stay with them. This is around Christmas time. And it goes, The first few weeks in front of the fire, Max remained worthless. Now that he was having a proper bath once a week, Liesl had noticed that his hair was no longer a nest of twigs, but rather a collection of feathers flopping about his head. Still shy of the stranger, she whispered to whispered to her papa, "His hair is like feathers." What? The fire had distorted the words. I said she whispered again, leaning closer. His hair is like feathers. Hans Huberman looked across and nodded in his agreement. I'm sure he was wishing he had ha- he had eyes like the girl. They didn't realize Max had heard everything. A little bit later, along the pages it says. Sometimes there was humor in Max Vandenberg's voice, though its physicality was like friction, like a stone gently rubbing across a larger rock. It was deep in places and scratched apart in others, sometimes breaking off altogether. It was deepest in regret and broken off at the end of a joke or a statement of self-deprecation. Things like that paint such a beautiful image in my mind, honestly. And to me, these speak of a different thing, of a different thing entirely. Like, oh, my stupid nose. (laughs) The words strung together to make these statements and to describe this relationship between Max and the Huberman family or Liesl and her papa Hans is amazing, really. It shows the mindsets of everyone, where Max is sort of cynical about him being a Jew and being hunted, and when he's alone in the cellar, he fights Hitler in his mind. He sits and waits for hours until the boxing ring mat emerges in his mind. It just paints a more beautiful picture and endearing sentiment to the entire situation. It gives this feeling of you, you feel connected to the characters. Another part about Max is when Lisa looked back on the events of her life, those nights in the living room were the most mem- the most clear memories she had. She could see the burning lights burning light on Max's eggshell face and taste the human flavor of his words. The course of his survival was related, piece by piece, as if he were cutting a part of him and presenting it on a plate. The imagery they're used is like him cutting apart his heart himself, what makes him him, Max himself. Oh my gosh. And he's showing it. He's giving up a part of himself to feed the imagination and the curiosity of a little girl who is none the wiser and is innocent to the world and its horrors. And it's heartbreaking to see this connection between the two is about loss and pain and suffering and a love for words. Max goes on to write about his adventures with Liesl, and he gives her stories. She considers books her most prized possession, so you can imagine how excited she was Whenever she was given these stories, this entire book was inspired by Marcus Suzek's mother and father, who actually grew up in Nazi Germany, although neither of them were named Liesl Memminger or had hidden a Jew in their basement. Though the stories were very real about the heartbreak and the suffering that mothers went through when they lost their sons or when... The fear set in during a bombing on the street when you would gather in a cold cellar with the rest of the street. Apparently, it took him several years to write this in such a way that he was proud of, that he was willing to present this to give a piece of himself even, like Max had given a piece of himself each time he told his story to Liesl. (laughs) The story had been an idea of Sussex for many years before he really started writing it. At first, he tried to make the uh, the narrator Lysel, but as you I was talking about before, it's very constricting. There's not enough give for there to be a full encompassing story to create that connection you have with all the characters. Um, then it started off with Lysel having already been arrested for stealing word for stealing words for stealing books at the bonfire that happens towards the middle of the story. But all of those were scratched in favor of introducing Liesl from the beginning and with death as the narration, the narrator. And he continues the narration throughout her entire life from the book that she had written and dropped whenever the entire Street of Himmel or Heaven Street had been bombed. He read the story so many times that, it was creased and falling apart in the seams. And it really creates this image of he clung to that. That was just as important as the colors he notices every day during his job as he scavenges the world and, as he says, arrives in an appointment with an early or late soul. Marcus Susieck paints a beautiful story with some amazing connections between the sky and the internal struggles and joys of Liesl's life or the situation surrounding others in the stories and I quite honestly suggest you read it if you have not and if you have read it again look at it from the eyes of this is something that really can Make or break your mood. Um, first time I read it, I was 13, maybe? I don't know. I was in middle school. And I absolutely hated the book. Absolutely hated it. Everybody dies. It even tells you. It alludes. Death alludes to the fact that everyone is going to die. And I somehow missed that. And I read the book. And I just sat down at the kitchen table and cried like 30 minutes because oh my gosh Liesl has lost so much and though the ending of the story is nice and it it gives a nice feeling of closure to the entire situation it's not happy it's heartbreaking you're haunted by humans you're haunted by the story and it's not really something that Really, a 13-year-old, I guess, since I'm assuming I was 13, or trying to remember I was 13, really, you want to read again, and then, for whatever reason, I just suddenly started craving The Book Thief. I absolutely had to read it again. I don't know why. I don't know when this was. I think it was maybe, like, a year later? I was in high school at this point, I think. And so, no, maybe two years later? I don't know. (sighs) I was close to, it was the end of middle school, beginning of high school, I don't know, somewhere in there. But I could not find this book. And with each passing day that I could not find this book, and I wanted to read it, I just felt this itch. Like, I was right there with Liesl. I had to steal a book. I had to read. It It had to give me this. I was like a junkie looking for a fix. And I finally got my hands on that book. And I have highlighted every single part that speaks to me. This book has a weird calming effect to me and it creates such a lull in my mind, blank slate. And then it fills it with pictures and imagery and Suzek just really does an outstanding job in portraying a girl in coming teenage years, going through all of this trouble and loyalty that is spoken in volumes between her and Max Vanderberg and Rudy Steiner and Hans and Rosa Hoverman. Just all of it. He creates these bonds between these people in such a heartbreaking time. And it's honestly just amazing. And I applaud him for that. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you've been able to overlook my constant sniffing and (laughs) nasally sounds. I hope you enjoyed this and will listen again or, you know, just listen to my other podcast. I don't know. Uh, If you're looking for any other analytical works of mine, you can go to my website, which is, I forgot it. I forgot what it's called. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Okay, I found my <laughs> I found my website link. It is H T T P S colon backslash backslash C A R L E Y E A S twenty dot W I X S I T E dot com backslash my site. That is H T T s colon backslash 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 carly east 20 dot my dot dot backslash my site. Of course, if you're looking for any more analytical works by me, that is my website that you can go to. Again, thank you so much for listening. Ms. Harrison, I'm sorry <laughs> if this makes you want to cry. And you change it very quickly. I'm totally okay with that. (laughs) Thank everybody so much for listening. And if you want to check out my other podcast, it's called Surviving High School, where I go over any sort of struggle, um, any tips you might need for incoming high schoolers or going to new school, just any year of high school. Because I'm going to go through it and hopefully give you better advice than what I was given, help you cover it better than I did. Um, and I hope you guys have a great day. Bye.